my biggest regret as a retirement investor, not pouring more money into the markets when they crashed in the early aughts and again in 2008. Coming of age between these two crashes might explain why millennials are more conservative investors than my generation, and that's not always a bad move. But pretty much everyone is going to need stock market growth to build their retirement savings. One of the most basic investing rules is to buy low and sell high. But when stocks crash, people can't imagine buying in. They're too scared. Even a personal finance columnist like me couldn't pull the trigger. I did do some buying when stocks were hammered, but not enough. I was in my 30s and 40s when I missed those chances to buy stocks at bargain prices. That's the point in life when you should be getting serious about investing for retirement, even if retirement is still decades away. Anybody, I mean, unless you make a very high salary when you're in your mid-40s or beyond, you're going to need 20 years to save for retirement, not 10 or 15. I'm Rob Carrick from The Globe and Mail, and this is the second of a three-part special podcast series from The Globe. On this episode of Looking Ahead, The Retirementality, we're talking about do-it-yourself investing for your retirement. Plus, you'll hear more about the ins and outs of managing my own money, the mistakes, the challenges I faced, right after this break to hear from our sponsor. How old will you be when you retire? Where will you live? And what should you do with your money? Defining your retirement can help you build a personalized investment plan, and iShares can help. Get inspired to build by visiting iShares.ca. iShares by BlackRock. Dan Bordelotti is a portfolio manager at PWL Capital in Toronto. But like me, Dan used to be the one asking the questions. Before I became an advisor, I was a journalist for over 20 years, and the latter part of my career, I focused specifically on writing about investing in personal finance, and I became a real advocate for do-it-yourself investors, just trying to offer people an alternative to working within an industry that doesn't always act in its clients' best interests. The investment industry does have some great people, but Dan's Canadian Couch Potato blog preaches a kind of self-reliance that has really appealed to investors. And uh, the name Couch Potato comes from an investing strategy that was invented in the 90s that's based on index investing only. So no stock picking, no active management, just getting broad exposure to the bond and stock markets at the lowest possible cost. Dan, I want to get a little personal now. When I was in my 30s, I took a buyout package for my job and I uh, took some money out of the company pension plan as a locked-in retirement account. And I went to my bank and I was talking to my banker, what should I do? And she goes, I know just the thing for you. You should see one of the advisors at our brokerage arm. And so I went up there a little intimidated thinking, I'm not sure I'm the right material for these guys. I'm looking around at the wood paneling and the sharp suits and the art on the wall. And this guy's very congenial. He says, I'll build you a nice portfolio of mutual funds. And I said, sounds good to me, sir. And I handed over all my money. I wasn't... uh, wasn't expecting, you know, to get rich quickly. And the years went by and I thought I'm kind of like, I feel like I'm stuck in the mud here. So I started to do a little research and I realized, you know, these are kind of high fee mutual funds. The managers were changing all the time. I couldn't really tell what this fund offered that the other funds didn't. How common is that experience? A big part of the financial industry uh, in this country and others presumably is to make as much money as possible while doing as little work as possible. And a high-priced mutual fund is the best way to do that. The superficial benefit is they put you into a diversified portfolio. It was probably something better than you would have been able to build on your own. However, once the account's set up, 
you're in this fund, you're paying two, two and a half percent. The advisor isn't offering any kind of financial advice. They're not doing any kind of portfolio management for you. It's a tax sheltered account. So any kind of tax advice they give you is irrelevant. Well, it's a cash cow for them. And so if that's been your business model for decades, you don't want to give that up. I think there is a lot more pressure on advisors now to bring those fees down and to demonstrate that they're actually adding value for whatever fees they do charge. And that is making the market a little bit more competitive. But boy, we have a long way to go. There are still trillions of dollars literally invested in mutual funds, very much on the model that you described. My broker wasn't even interested in me enough to flog me to contribute more in savings. That's how apathetic he was. Yeah, I think that this goes back to my roots as a DIY investing advocate. If you have a relatively small portfolio, at least from the advisor's perspective, you should not expect any level of service. I, when I say that, I mean you shouldn't expect it because you're probably not going to get it. You deserve it, but you're probably not going to get it. So what I've always recommended to people, and when I say relatively small, I'm not talking about five, ten thousand dollars to invest. I'm talking if you have a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. It's still pretty difficult to find a low fee advisor who offers a full suite of planning services as well as investment management. When we come back, Dan and I get into the nuts and bolts of DIY investing. And Dan tells us why 40 is when you should get serious about retirement saving. It's all about compounding. Compounding is not a very powerful thing in years one to five, but it's extremely powerful in years 20 to 25. That's after the break. How old will you be when you retire? Where will you live? And how will you spend your time? Defining your retirement can help you build a personalized investment plan, and iShares Core ETFs can help. They're a simple, low-cost way to build a solid foundation for your portfolio and can help make your retirement goals a reality. And iShares is powered by BlackRock, trusted to manage more money for investors than any other firm in the world. Get inspired to build by visiting iShares.ca. iShares by BlackRock iShares ETFs are managed by BlackRock Asset Management Canada Limited. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with investing in iShares ETFs. Please read the relevant prospectus before investing. The funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Tax, investment, and all other decisions should be made, as appropriate, only with guidance from a qualified professional. My response to my experience with the broker was to become a DIY investor. And I remember telling the broker that I was going to move my account over to the same financial institution's online brokerage division, and he just sort of shrugged. He could not have been less perturbed or less interested in all of this. Um, and this coincided with me starting to write my column and getting more educated about investing. But as time went by, I realized that my biggest challenge was time. You know, partially it was because I was advising everybody else how to manage their money. I didn't have time to look at my own portfolio. You know, I just did not feel like opening up my account when I got home after writing about this stuff all day. So time was my big challenge. What are the challenges that you find other DIY investors face? I think there's three. I mean, time is certainly one of them. Skill is one. I don't mean that you need to be some kind of stock picking genius. But you do need to spend a little time understanding the nature of different investments, the risks inherent in them, et cetera. You're going to need to do a little bit of reading. And then the final one is inclination. 
And by that, I just mean some people have no interest in this kind of stuff. And that's perfectly legitimate if it's not your thing. But if you do have the time, some skills and inclination, then I think the key is to find a DIY solution that's not only low cost, but that will be easy for you to manage. You've had a big role in popularizing exchange-traded funds for investors in Canada. Can you please explain to us what an ETF is? Yeah, so an ETF or an exchange-traded fund is essentially a mutual fund that is traded on a stock exchange like a stock. So mutual funds traditionally are portfolios of individual stocks and bonds. So they offer instant diversification, um, which is a great feature for people who don't have a ton of money to invest. And then the exchange traded fund is a development of that. So rather than buying these investments directly through the mutual fund company or through an investment dealer, you can purchase them on an exchange the same way you would buy an individual stock. One of the coolest parts about ETFs for me is their dirt cheap fees. If you read my column or follow me on social media, you know it's something I talk a lot about. And Dan explains perfectly why keeping your eyes on fees is so important. Fees erode your returns in a way that's known in advance, right? I mean, if you're paying, you know, 2% uh, for your mutual funds, then you know you have to earn a 2% investment return just to break even. And in a low interest rate environment... 2% on safe investments is probably all you're going to get. So if all of that is being eroded by fees or the better part of it, then you're really you know, running with weights around your ankles. Now, one of the problems with ETFs is the fact that there are about 500 or is it 600 on the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange alone, another several hundred, probably close to a thousand on the New York Stock Exchange, all of them available to investors. I find when people decide to make the jump into ETFs, this paralyzes them. Now, one solution is the robo-advisor. What do you think about the robo-advisor alternative to buying ETFs for yourself? Well, a robo-advisor is sort of a nickname that's been given to an online investing platform. This is a service that will build an ETF portfolio for you and look after all of the trades. And from what I've seen, I might quibble with some of their decisions, but they're pretty well-diversified portfolios. I don't have any major objections to the way any of the robo-advisory firms build their portfolios. So, for example, if you have $10,000 to invest with them, they will take you through a uh, risk profile questionnaire, figure out a mix of stocks and bonds that's appropriate for your situation. They will build a portfolio of ETFs with that asset mix. And then when you give them your $10,000, they will make all the trades for you. And going forward, say you're adding a couple of hundred dollars a month, they will constantly add that new money to the portfolio by the number of shares of ETFs that are necessary in order to maintain your, your target allocation. Dan, you're here to help people in their 30s and 40s get a handle on their retirement savings. But that's a time of your life when you've got a lot of competing demands. You've got your mortgage, you've got your daycare payments, you've got your minivan payments, you've got your family vacations. How do you find space, how do you find bandwidth to save for retirement? That is really the biggest challenge, I think, at this stage of life. And where people can go wrong is if they feel like they're being pulled in so many different directions. They cannot possibly do a great job at anything. And so they get very discouraged by doing, you know, a poor or mediocre job at everything. So I think what it makes sense to do is try to pick a couple of priorities that you can actually manage. 
I think debt repayment is really an important one. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed by your mortgage payments, I mean, try to always remember that every mortgage payment you make increases your net worth just like saving and investing does. So if you don't have a lot of money left over to make a TFSA contribution this year, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up. And just try to avoid the really out-of-control, leaky spending that so many people fall victim to. I think the biggest things are cars and home renovations. I'm noticing a few people in the investment community, and this kind of surprises me because they're usually pro-investment, build your RSP, build your TFSA. They're starting to talk about paying down your debt before you start investing. I'm, I'm encouraged that you're saying that you're hearing this from financial professionals because one of the big problems, of course, is that financial advisors have a conflict of interest. If a client says to me, you know, I have $100,000, do you recommend that I invest it with you or do you recommend that I pay off my mortgage? Obviously, I have a vested interest in telling him or her to invest with me. But the right thing to do in most cases is to encourage them to pay down the debt. So the way I always frame this question is whenever you pay down debt, you are effectively earning a return equivalent to the interest rate on the loan. So if you make a prepayment on your mortgage and you're paying a 4% interest rate on your mortgage, that's essentially the same as making a 4% investment return. It's also risk-free and tax-free. If you can find for me a risk-free, tax-free investment that pays 4% or more, you know, let me know. But because those don't exist, I think the debt payment is a better choice in that situation. Now, in the first segment of this podcast series, we've talked about the importance of young people saving for retirement for a variety of reasons. Many of them won't have pensions. They're going to need to do some heavy lifting of their own. And yet here we are sort of suggesting that if you put a focus on paying down your debt, you may not be saving anything for retirement in your 30s. Is that okay? As long as you've got a clear plan of how you're going to catch up, if you are on track to have your mortgage paid off by the time you're 50, then you do have an opportunity in your 50s to really ramp up your retirement savings. I think it is possible to do both for many people. And the way I would recommend doing that would be to look at your employer plan first. So I think it's possible for many people to make a payroll contribution to a defined contribution pension plan or group RSP or whatever plan your workplace happens to offer, especially if they offer some kind of match because that's free money that we all should take advantage of. If you can make a modest contribution to your employer plan and pay your mortgage at the same time, then I think that's a pretty good balance. But I absolutely think that people can catch up on their retirement savings later in life if they have the discipline and inclination to do so, and that it's done thoughtfully and not just, you know, sort of brushing it off saying, oh, I'll catch up later. You need to be specific about it. My mortgage will be paid off in year X, and at that point, I'm going to start putting all the money that I was putting towards my mortgage into my RSP, etc. What age do you think I need to lock down as my start seriously saving for retirement age? So if you have not made any retirement savings by the time you're in your early 40s, then I think you really do need to get serious. Because let's remember that compounding is very 
important, and most of it comes at the end of the process. So what I mean by that is compounding is not a very powerful thing in years one to five, but it's extremely powerful in years 20 to 25. And so if you only give yourself 15 years to save for retirement, there is a lot of compounding that, you know, you've kind of given up. So I think and I think anybody, I mean, unless you make a very high salary when you're in your mid-40s or beyond, you're going to need 20 years to save for retirement, not 10 or 15. So I think you better get serious by the time you're in your early to mid-40s. Can you give us a quickie, simple explanation of compounding? So compounding is essentially interest on interest. Simple interest would be if you if you have $100 and you earn 2% interest, you get a $2 interest rate. But next year, if you reinvest that money, you get 2% on $102. And the following year, it's even bigger. So what happens is at the end of the process, that 2 3 4% return turns into tens of thousands of dollars on a large portfolio, where it was only a few dozen dollars on a small portfolio. Something that's really worked well for me in terms of navigating the ups and downs of the stock market is just to put money in all the time. I, I contribute to my RSP, my TFSA, every time I get paid and it's automatic. How important is that to have a regular contribution plan that you plow through good markets, bad markets, the same every month? It's hugely important. And I think anybody who is a salaried employee should set up some kind of automated savings plan the way you've described it. Otherwise, what happens is you start making market-based decisions every time you have cash in your checking account. Is this a good time to invest or should I wait? If it is a good time to invest, what should I buy? What's been going up? What's been going down? You start asking yourselves all of these counterproductive questions. And that's why I love, you know, employer-sponsored plans and automated savings plans because you set up a balanced portfolio with a long-term strategy and you add money every month. And then you don't need to pay attention to it because the more attention you pay to it, the more likely you are to make counterproductive decisions. Dan, you're an advisor. You've written about investing forever. What's your RSP invested in? So my RSP and my TFSA, all my investments are in exactly the same type of strategy I write about. It's all ETFs and GICs. I don't own any individual stocks, never have. And I really believe it's important for anyone as an advisor or investor advocate to eat their own cooking and to invest their own money the same way that uh, they're recommending for other people. So I've always tried very hard to do that. Dan, how did you get interested in retirement and being a financial planner? When I started working as a journalist, I didn't have a lot of experience writing about personal finance and investing. But in 2008, uh, I was asked to do a article for Money Sense magazine where we worked with um, a number of couples and individuals who were self-professed financial basket cases. And the idea was we brought them in for seven days and we um, tried to turn around their finances for them. So I was asked to join that team as the reporter. And so I followed around one of the couples for that seven days. And ironically, I think the uh, sessions had more of an effect on me than they did on many of the participants. I was at the time of my life where I should start, you know, thinking about it. I was in my late 30s. And um, so I just kind of got bitten by the bug. And then I started the blog the following year and, and it just took off from there. Let your retirement savings take off too. If you haven't already, it's time to start playing catch up. Consider making your money work harder. Look for fees that are wiping out your gains and find cheaper investment options. 
Thanks to Dan Bordelotti for speaking with us. Dan is a portfolio manager with PWL Capital in Toronto, and you can read his blog at www.canadiancouchpotato.com. Next on retirementality, the golden years. What to think about when you hit my age and retirement is just around the corner or not. Lots of people are saying, I don't want to retire. And when they say that, it usually means that they don't want to stop uh, contributing. And hey, if you like what you've heard so far, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? And if you have a question about your retirement or a suggestion for the show, I'm on Twitter and Facebook at rcarrick, or you can email me at rcarrick at globeandmail.com. Retirementality is produced by Kasia Mihailovich. We record at Studio 351 in Toronto with the help of Timothy Moore. Thanks to executive producers Stephanie Chan, Katrina Bolak, and Sean Stanley. <laughs>